there are companies in the same industry in the same niche looking for the same products that have accelerated their buyer's journey during the pandemic and then some that have just completely put it on pause. And that's a really hard thing for sales teams to wrap their head around because that means that every single prospect you talk to is going through a completely different process. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. I'm excited to speak to our guest in today's episode since she is a subject matter expert in my favorite topic, buyer experiences supported by high value content. As an editorial leader of B2B marketing title, Follow Your Buyer, she's at the heart of the discussion around what it takes for B2B marketing and sales departments to respond to the new way B2B enterprise solutions are sold and bought. Today, I'm catching up with the chief editor of followyourbuyer.com, Abby Sorensen. Abby, thank you so much for joining today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Felix. So what is your background and what do you do? I got my start in the business world running events for consumers car shows and hunting and fishing shows, home and garden shows. And I joined our media company about seven years ago to jump into the B2B world, kind of take those experiential marketing learnings in the B2C world to our company. So I was born in the event space, which is a little ironic because I spend a lot of time writing and talking about how events are not the most efficient way to market anymore. Yeah, Yeah, my background's in events. I've always loved to write. I've been an editor in a few different B2B markets. And right now I'm kind of combining that editorial and that marketing love, talking about content marketing all the time. That's right, Ed, follow your buyer. Yes. Now I came across your publication and I'm really passionate about content and marketing and sales. And yeah, I definitely could see the value that your publication provides to marketers and B2B marketers. I'm also working with sales teams because it talks a lot about the buyer journey, obviously, as the name says. I think you're definitely spot on in the way you cover that space with the publication. Oh, thank you. When people ask me uh, what I'm up to at work, I like to say, well, just following buyers. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, <laughs> the, right. the buyers that I'm following are, are other B2B marketers. The name of our publication is quite literal. We don't want to uh, force buyers into our yeah. process. We don't want to stalk our buyers. We don't want to annoy our buyers. We want to follow our buyers. And that's how yeah. we lead them to their purchase decisions. Yeah, that's great. So you said you previously worked in events, like especially these days, obviously, the events industry has been struggling due to COVID, social distancing and getting lots of people in a confined space isn't the best idea anymore. So what is your take on the role of events in marketing and sales? How has that role changed? From where I sit, Felix, I think the pandemic really accelerated a trend that had started probably four or five years ago. And that trend is events were struggling, not necessarily from the perspective of the vendors and suppliers who were attending them, they were more popular than ever. What better way to conduct business than to get all of your buyers under one roof, trap them in for a couple of days and be able to sell to them? The supplier side loved events. Where the decline started was with the buyers. I mean, the buyer's journey has been going more and more digital long before COVID-19 became part of our vocabulary. And again, the pandemic kind of accelerated this shift. It's not that there isn't a place for events anymore in B2B sales. I think events eventually will come back. Maybe not the 10, 20, 50,000 mega conferences that we're used to in terms of attendance. I think once this pandemic is behind us, we'll see a return to more, more niche, more personal, smaller scale conferences instead of big, massive trade show floors. 
But yeah, we've been hearing from suppliers again for the past four or five years that events are becoming less and less effective. And I think there are a couple of reasons behind that. One, the cost of events got really crazy. I don't know if you've seen that down in the Australia market, but boy, all of a sudden it was $10,000 to sponsor a sticker on a wall or <laughs> a happy hour started to be, you know, your entire marketing budget for the year. And right. as kind of the, the cost got out of sync with sponsoring events, it really just became a, a race to last. You couldn't keep up with the two or three biggest players in the space who could afford the biggest booth and the most sponsorships and the best parties. So you saw two or three or four gorillas taking over events. And then from there, the rest of suppliers just struggled to keep up. I think that's a common notion also that I've heard from other larger markets that have already left COVID behind them more or less, or aren't struggling with COVID as much anymore, that the experience for the buyers across the board, but it also includes events, has become more of a hybrid experience. So it's a combination of in-person and digital. That's certainly something that I expect to see in events as well, you know, that events, as you said, have more of a intimate setting. And then on top of that, the content generated through events will then be used to scale the reach beyond the region or the locality to reach more people with that content. So I think the hybrid model is definitely something that we'll see more and more of. One thing that the editors at our company are hearing from readers who are we consider buyers is that what they miss most about events is talking to their peers. I've yet to hear someone say, boy, I can't wait to get back on a trade show floor and talk to a B2B sales rep. That's fun. I miss that. And no one says that, right? They <laughs> yeah, go to yeah. these events so they can bump into their peers and their competitors in the hallway and, and learn what they're mm -hmm. up to. They've learned that they can talk to buyers on their own terms. They don't need to get on a plane and say goodbye to their spouse and their kids and their dog in order to talk to salespeople, right? They can talk mm -hmm. in this format, but it's really hard to create the peer-to-peer -peer experience digitally. So again, those kind of smaller, more personalized conferences, I think will focus more on networking mm -hmm from a buyer to buyer perspective and less on interactions between buyers and sellers. That's my prediction. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think also what you say about the personal interaction, I think that's something that's definitely suffered in terms of the digital transformation of sales and marketing. And there's only a few companies that have really been able to nail the way they engage people online, not only with content, but also personal interactions. I think there's a big potential for companies to have a real competitive advantage if they manage to build those connections better. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the exact same format, but in terms of personalization and people feeling like they're being heard rather than being just a number on a spreadsheet that just receives the privilege of receiving their first name as a merge tag. <laughs> um, I think the personalization and the digital interaction also goes a really long way. Yep, <laughs> you're right. Merge tags. Yes, that is yep. not personalization. You know, if you can see on the, the backdrop behind me, we're a company of many, many different brands. So our parent company, Vert Markets, plays in quite a few B2B verticals. The backdrop in our podcast studio here are some of our brands in the life sciences space. And then Follow Your Buyer is a sister publication to those brands. So you wouldn't believe the different companies I get addressed by. I can count on one hand how many times I've gotten an email about Follow Your Buyer. Right. I'll yeah, be addressed yeah. as I hope you and the bioprocess online team are doing well. Well, I'm not part of that team, so I'm probably going to ignore your email before <laughs> before I even That's start right. reading it. Nobody's safe. <laughs> right. How do you collaborate with B2B marketing departments in your role? I wear a couple different hats. One of them is internal collaboration, right? We are a media company that's evangelizing this follow your buyer methodology. So part of my role is to support our internal sales team 
and teach them how to follow their buyers, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But yeah, I've also yeah. started to work more closely with some of our partners, consulting on their content strategy and really drilling down into the basics. I mean, you know this, Felix, everybody wants to have shorter sales cycles. Everybody wants better leads. Everybody wants to do content marketing, especially since the pandemic. A lot of people don't know what that actually means in practice. So I find myself working on pretty basic topics such as how much content you need to get started in content marketing. And then once you have that content out in the world and it's generating leads, what do you say to the buyers that are interacting with that content? And then once you get them engaged with your sales team, what role does content play after that? So my interactions, again, whether it's with our internal sales team or, or with some of our partners, is really just making sure we stick to those basics and not try to swallow the ocean, trying to do everything at once with content. Mm -hmm. Okay. What sort of B2B industries do you cover? Probably tech. What else is included there? What's interesting is I think the tech world has gotten a head start on their content learning curve. Content works really well, especially in the SaaS space, which is one of the areas I used to cover back in my editor days. Some of the industries I work with, I don't want to say they're behind the curve, but they're still catching up to tech in terms of their use of content. So the industries I'm most familiar with in my current seat are ones with really long, really complex sales cycles and massive, complicated deal sizes. So for example, suppliers in the pharmaceutical and biotech space, suppliers in the environmental water management space, suppliers in field technologies, electronic components. They're not the same kind of flashy industries as some of the tech unicorns that are using content, but they're industries that nonetheless can really benefit from sound content strategies supporting their buyers. And what sort of similarities and differences can you see across those industries in terms of the way content is being used? I think one of the biggest similarities is suppliers just can't help themselves. They love talking about themselves, whether it's when they're on stage at a trade show or in a white paper, no matter what our default is to talk about ourselves. I just spent a couple minutes ago talking about all of our different brands. I can't even help myself, even though I <laughs> preach being buyer centric. But we found that regardless of the industry, once you really start focusing on who you're creating content for, then the magic starts to happen. And sometimes that means producing a piece of content that doesn't even mention your company or your solution. And I know that sounds crazy to suppliers out there, but regardless of the industry, as soon as you cross that line between trying to be a thought leader versus trying to sell, then that's when your content strategy goes up in flames. Not that there isn't a time and a place for you know late stage content to support the end of the buyer's journey, but we find that almost every industry struggles with that content to support the early stages. Mm, okay, yeah, now I get it. For a lot of businesses, it's really counterintuitive, even from a sales perspective. I think sales are, especially in those complex and really long sales cycles, uh, getting involved earlier and earlier, especially when you think about account-based marketing and the way sales are being used to distribute content throughout this process. I think for a lot of industries, it's still counterintuitive to not talk about themselves, but what they don't realize is that it actually is better for themselves. They are being perceived as helping rather than trying to sell. And buyers obviously always ask, what's in it for me? I think you definitely answered that question better if you try to help them rather than talk about yourself. It's funny, Felix, because it seems like marketers are generally speaking more apt to understand that. So we see quite often that a B2B marketing team will buy into the idea of thought leadership and they'll do the hard work creating the content and distributing it where their buyers are likely to engage with it and they generate good leads. And then as soon as those leads get kicked over to the sales team, 
they go right into sell mode. It's, mm. it's really up to the marketers of the world to have to educate their internal sales teams of how to focus on the following your buyer and then helping your yeah. buyer and not yeah. taking thought leadership and going right to, can we schedule a demo? Can we talk pricing? What is your timeline? Who's involved in the decision? Because the sales teams just can't help themselves. And B2B sales folks have a really difficult job. Using content to sell is a lot different than the old way of selling. Yeah, yeah. I think buyers generally are going to go on limp here, but don't care what your internal process is. When, when marketing hands over leads to sales, they don't really care. And ideally, I think when you think about creating a buyer journey, it's more important to have that seamless transition and create an experience where they don't even know that there's a handover between marketing and sales, and then from sales to customer success and so on. So I think Having those seamless transitions and having a unified experience is especially something that sales enablement folks can really help with in terms of crafting those experiences. Absolutely. Yeah, it would benefit everybody involved in the B2B purchasing process to remember that their buyers are our people. When we as humans go to purchase a new car and we step on a car lot, we don't want to talk to a sales rep, right? We've already done yeah. our homework. Sometimes we just want to browse. We typically only want to talk to that car salesman when we're ready to drive off the lot with the vehicle. And we forget that that dynamic exists in B2B too. Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about the buyer journey, especially in those industries that have really long and complex sales cycles and on the buyer's side, there's a lot of complex decision-making going on. Have you seen the buyer journey really change during the pandemic? How has it changed? How has it been impacted? I really had to think of that because the answer is it depends. I think sometimes B2B marketers are guilty of assuming that there's one buyer's journey and that all of their buyers that fall into category A in terms of either company size or industry or whatever like characteristics that everybody in that category goes through the buyer's journey the same way. And really it's the opposite of that. There are companies in the same industry in the same niche looking for the same products that have accelerated their buyer's journey during the pandemic. And then some that have just completely put it on pause. And that's a really hard thing for sales teams to wrap their head around because that means that every single prospect you talk to is going through a completely different process on a completely mm. different timetable. So I know that's kind of avoiding the answer to your question, but the answer is really, it depends. In our industries, especially in the, the life sciences space, the pharmaceutical companies are certainly you know working faster than ever during the pandemic. In other industries, they're really slowing down. We found that our buyers, you know, at our media company are certainly more active now than ever, right? Because they don't have those trade shows to generate leads. Yeah, the answer is it just depends. And if there's one mm -hmm. takeaway, it's that no buyer's journey is the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. From my experience, the buyer's journey is often only a symptom of what's going on underneath the surface. And I think what has changed, what has caused buyer journeys to change is, first of all, people's lives. So a lot of people started working from home for the first time in their careers. They might have financial problems to deal with due to the pandemic, to pay cuts and so on. They might homeschool their kids and so on. So there's all kinds of distractions going on. And then on top of that, you've got changing organizational structures and dynamics within the company, as you said. Budgets might get cut, teams are decentralized and so on. So it's not as easy to collaborate and making buying decisions. So I think from my experience anyway, the buyer journey is only the symptom of all those underlying things. That's what we're exposed to as marketers and as sellers. 
but you really have to have that empathy to understand those underlying issues to really solve and address that and reduce friction during the buying cycle because people don't care about the funnel that you've modeled, right? Everybody's got their own little funnel going on and you really have to have that empathy to customize that on a case-by-case basis. One of my favorite articles I've ever written for the Follow Your Buyer website, the title is, The Sales Funnel is Not the Buyer's Journey. And that sentence is repeated probably a hundred times in the article. The sales funnel is not the buyer's journey, especially not now. When we want buyers to walk through this really linear process to arrive as customers, and they just don't, especially when they're trying to homeschool their kids or have a barking dog in the background or are doing remote onboarding. Now's a more important time than ever to remember that our buyers are human. So you might not be able to help them educate their second grader or teach a math lesson to their 10 <laughs> If you're really committed, if you're really committed. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You can't help alleviate those kind of stresses from a buyer's life, but you can certainly help make their buying process easy by just being helpful instead of trying to sell. Yeah, absolutely. From your point of view in the coming years, how do you think the buyer journey will evolve? Not necessarily the buyer journey, as we said, there's many versions of the buyer journey, but what sort of trends do you expect to see that impact the way B2B marketing and sales will interact with their target markets. So a couple of things. One, I think the amount of different channels that sales and marketing professionals are going to use to reach buyers is going to expand greatly. I think oftentimes we're looking for, you know, the one thing that works. For a long time, it was trade shows. You could spend 80% of your sales and marketing budget going to in-person events and that would fill your funnel and that would hit your quota for the year. And now it's a little bit of everything. That's one of the questions I get asked a lot. Well, what's the best channel for my content? And the answer is every channel. Because just like no two buyers' journeys are the same, no two buyers are the same with their content preferences. There are Mm -hmm. buyers out there who don't even know what a podcast is. And there are buyers out there who listen to 10 hours of podcasts a week. Mm -hmm. So as a marketer, does that mean you should do podcasts? Well, of course. But then you need to figure out what that non-podcast consumer, how they want to receive your content. So I think that will just continue to change and evolve. The amount of channels you need to push your content out through, it certainly won't shrink. Hmm. One thing that I expect to happen as well is that buyers will have less and less of a tolerance to be marketed to in the old way when it comes to contact detail collection. You download a white paper and two minutes later, the sales rep calls your mobile and asks you (laughs) which insights in the 50-page white paper you found most relevant. I think the tolerance for that kind of thing is already very low, but I think it will become even less and less. So hand-raising, so to speak, of buyers that actually want to talk to sales will increase more and more. It doesn't necessarily mean that the relevance of sales in that process will decline. Sales will still have an active role in actually engaging the buyers and helping them throughout the decision-making process, even if they're interested. It doesn't mean that the internal decision-making process on the buyer's end will stop. But I think that demand generation through really valuable content and less of those transactional interactions will become more and more prevalent as well. I think sales professionals in the B2B space are frustrated by how much buyers can learn about them before they need a salesperson to give them more information. But Mm. it cuts both ways because B2B marketing and sales teams can learn more about buyers than ever before too. So when you finally get a buyer interested in talking to you, you can't start with the, well, tell me what some of your goals are or tell me what target markets you're trying to reach or tell me what pain points you have to overcome. You should already know those things. You don't want to assume all of it, but it's really incumbent on B2B marketers to use content engagements 
give their sales team insights so that you're not wasting time with really basic background questions that buyers expect you to know already. I mean, gosh, yeah, content, yeah. there are so many insights. If, if a buyer is reading a white paper, how to overcome challenge A, B, and C, you start out your sales call by saying, so do you have a challenge in area A, B, C? Well, of course they do. That's why they're <laughs> looking at your white paper, right? B2B buyers yeah. aren't consuming content for fun. I love yeah, what yeah. I do, it's but right. I, don't, right. I don't go home at the end of the day and continue to uh, fill out there's a nice, and, There's a nice white paper waiting for me at home. Yes. Yeah. I will say though, Felix, I have listened to every episode of State of Sales Enablement after work hours as I'm as I'm walking the dog. So I am a little bit of a nerd when it comes to content. But yeah, again, buyers are people. They're not reading your B2B content for fun. They're doing it for a purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You touched on something really important there when it comes to the feedback loop. That's often something that's really underestimated in the sales interaction or from marketers and the ability to leverage sales. Like you've got such an important source of market intelligence right at your fingertips, putting content out there and receiving market feedback on it and using sales as a way to basically analyze how people react to the content, if it really matches on what's going on within their organizations and so on. I think that's something that's really important to do. So for marketers who haven't done a lot of content marketing or haven't really worked with their sales team closely in producing a lot of content, what would your suggestion be for them to get started enabling their sales team with content? What are the first steps to really create a solid foundation for that process? First step is to talk to your buyers. I think a mistake many marketers make is going to their sales team and say, okay, we're going to create some content. What do you want it to be about? Because what the sales team thinks they need might be very different from what your buyers want to engage with. So start by talking to current customers and prospective buyers. If marketers come at it from an angle that, hey, we're marketers and we're just trying to produce valuable content that you'll want to engage with, believe it or not, buyers are happy to share that feedback because they know they're not being sold to. There's no ulterior motive. So I would say start there. Start by talking to your buyers and then develop the content and educate your sales team. But I'm shocked at how many marketing teams don't have any open lines of communication directly with customers. It all goes through their sales team. And, and no offense to the sales professionals listening to this podcast. Many of them are super in tune with their customers and they talk to their customers and prospects and can relay that back to the marketing team. But there's something special about when marketing talks directly to the buyers. Because again, the buyers in that case, their guards will be let down a little bit because they know they're not going to be asked to buy anything. They're just sharing yeah. information. That's where yeah. I'd start. Talk to your buyers as marketers. Yeah, great advice. So Abby, if people want to connect with you or read more of your awesome content, where can they do that? So our publications website is followyourbuyer.com. I'm on LinkedIn at Abby L. Sorensen. There are a couple Abby Sorensons on LinkedIn. My cover image is a background of my favorite golf course. So that's how you'll know it's <laughs> me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Abby. Thanks, Felix. You've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at krugermarketing.com learn. That's K-R-U-E-G-E-R marketing.com learn.